0: 337 of Global From Asia podcasts, relationships and business deals between Australia and China and some lessons learned. It's some interesting stuff today. Let's tune in. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you everybody for choosing to Download and listen to or stream or watch or whatever. You know, it's all over the place here. We're on all the channels we can be on in China and overseas. Hopefully the show stays online in China. We are talking about some relationships of business, of governments. You know, honestly, there are huge groups that, you know, I am not too much involved with. But I thought it might be a good discussion to have today because it's hard to almost avoid. And what we need to learn. As business owners, as cross-border traders, is we are somewhat reliant, or you know, we are involved with what government's relationships happen, and we talk about that today. We have a great guest with us, Asha, from she worked in the AmCham, AusCham. Excuse me, I'm thinking American as an American, AusCham, Australian Chamber of Commerce in Guangzhou, and she's back in Australia now, right before COVID happened, and we we discuss. You know, we're here at the end of 2020. Honestly, the show is recorded. A Almost a couple weeks ago, we live streamed it, but even since then, she's like, "Oh, things have really heated up even more since we last recorded." I still think there's so much to learn from this. I hope this can help you out. We get some, you know, some crazy stories about stuff getting left in ports and docks in different parts of the world. Uh, let's let's tune in. We're starting a new Amazon brand. We have registered a whole new company, U.S. company, and we're using what we what we promote, Mercury.com. It's a new online banking solution for e-commerce businesses. We made a deal with them, they're supporting the show. If you enjoy the show, check them out, totally free to apply. They really wanna help more e-commerce traders and get business going. We also have a cash bonus for you and we get a little bit of that too. So it's a win-win. At globalfromasia.com slash mercury, you'll be given a full tutorial of my process I went through. I'll give you some tips in the application process as well. And if you apply through that link, you will get Uh, a couple different choices for some cash bonuses. So enjoy that as well. And thank you, Mercury. Thank everybody for tuning into a Global From Asia, I don't know, live stream, video, podcast, audio podcast. We're still adjusting and upgrading with the lockdowns and the the lack of in-person events. So we're trying to do these online events. And I'm really excited to bring in today's guest, Asha Forsyth. She is a China-Australia trade and diplomacy specialist with a decade working with and studying in China. Her roles as general manager uh, at the Australian Chamber of Commerce in South China and the foreign affairs manager at Kingle group. And you've worked with a lot of cross-cultural relations and understandings. You've even worked with Ban Ki-moon and president Xi, Xi Ping, which is really amazing. And you're fluent in Chinese and English uh, with your childhood in Taiwan and studied languages and political science in University of Sydney and Shanghai's Fudan University. So it's really amazing to have you on today to share about these important relations in today's uh, new world.
1: Thank you. Um, I plan to do a bit of an intro, but you've outshined me. Your intro of me is is already spot on, but that's okay. Um, Yeah, so. Just as you mentioned, I've kind of had an early interest in China and Asia relations through growing up in Taiwan and then kind of furthered that on at university by studying language, Mandarin, and also political science. And from then I've kind of hopped from workplace to workplace, specializing in basically helping uh, other companies overseas understand China. Uh, And one of the main places that I did that was at AusCham, which is the Australian Chamber of Commerce, which is basically just a non-for-profit NGO set up to help people understand and navigate China um, to do better business
0: yeah okay great yeah i mean it's a very important role and a very important you know uh, association a group community to really bridge you know bridge these um these countries and there's many chambers that that do these things and especially in today's world um literally somebody was just talking about australia china relations to me yesterday and i was like well we're yeah. gonna talk about that today and uh, yeah you know i It's difficult, you know, it's obviously, it's difficult times, right? I mean, um, what are some of the common products, you know, I think Australia and China have always had this, at least from my understanding over the years, I'm, I'm you know, I think, you know, I'm an American, I don't really understand always these other cultures so well, but maybe just give us an idea of these, what are common trade deals or trade relationships between Australia and China?
1: Well, um, I think Australia is kind of unique when it comes to uh, other Western economies or Western trade economies in that it is geographically in Asia essentially. Mm -hmm. So that's why China has historically always been a really important trade partner for Australia. Um, And in terms of the like product, common products or services or investments between Australia and China, that was really solidified actually recently in 2015 with the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement. So prior to that, Australia didn't have an agreement like that with China. And obviously being such an important trade partner, there was a lot of background work that led up to that agreement in 2015. And basically what that agreement did was it ensured reduced tariffs, um, so duty-free for about 85% of Australian goods going into China. And then over the next four to five years leading up to about, I think it was 95 to 98% of Australian goods. So those, in terms of the actual products... Basically, the general pattern is that Australia is known for its high quality ingredients and high quality produce. And with the rising Chinese middle class, mm-hmm. they're opting for products like high quality Australian beef, wine, even cosmetics and kind of healthcare and vitamins um, in terms of like investments or services. Obviously, you've got education is a huge yeah. one where We've got a lot of Australia, a lot of Chinese students coming over to Australia for education, and then tourism as well is interlinked with that. So I think that, um, yeah, it's an all-encompassing trade relationship. Uh, a lot of it is based on physical products including also natural resources um china is one of australia's largest um, importers of natural resources and australia is a very resource rich country so we export things like uranium iron ore coal gold etc um and then outside of that you've got all the produce as well
0: wow yeah yeah that's that that's really a great overview i mean I mean, it was kind of leading to the next point is the education. I, I at least for me, I, I, of course, you know, Australia, I think of mining, you know, I, I've, I've yeah. yet to go, I've yet to go. I really want to make it to Australia. I have yet to go. Um, there's been a couple of close chances, but I haven't met, been myself, but I mean, I always hear about mining and yeah, na- like you mentioned natural resources and the education are the top two in my mind from what I've, you know, just yeah. in casual conversations and, and business yeah. encounters. So, so, um, I guess let's just, I don't know. I mean, it's dangerous. I don't get so political. and I don't know how political you want to get, but of course there's been some testing of these relationships, you know, yes. in this pandemic. Um, I don't know, you know, what's your, your experience you've noticed the past year or so, like you, you have, you just relocated to Sydney just before the pandemic, you know, just by chance, right. It was nothing connected yes. to knowing it and, nice. you know, what have you, you know, what would you say is the evolution of this relationship maybe in, you know, in this COVID, post-COVID world, you know, or, or this new world?
1: Well, I think that um, with the current tensions, it's important to kind of look at the background of how they've evolved. Um, and my understanding kind of like a brief high level blow by blow of how basically Australia and China's relationship has kind of degraded a little bit over the last year, it's largely been because of COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll just run through a brief overview of like kind of what happened in terms of the relation from my perspective. And then I can share a bit of insight of like where I think it's going, how that's affected business on both sides. So um, with the relationship, basically from my understanding is it all started off with, um, an Australian foreign minister, Maurice Payne, who on an Australian show basically indicated that there needed to be an independent inquiry into uh, China's handling of COVID that was independent of the World Health Organization, um, basically saying that Australia would be happy to spearhead that independent inquiry um, and that China needed to be transparent. And I think, From my perspective, a bunch of other Australian politicians, uh, including the Trade Minister and the Prime Minister, kind of jumped on board being like, yes, we need to have this independent inquiry. Um, And it it wasn't very nuanced. It was kind of uh, perceived as quite aggressive and led to the Chinese ambassador to Australia basically saying, you know, if, if... This is the way it's going to be, you know, Chinese consumers might boycott Australian goods. And this, um, I think, wasn't perceived as real. It was just seen as maybe a bluff. Um, And then all of a sudden, 80 percent tariffs were whacked on Australian barley. And all of a sudden there was a bunch of Australian farmers going, wait a second, this is real now. You know, this wasn't just a little spat that had no consequences. Now a lot of Australian farmers, you know, are at the mercy of these tariffs. Um, and also about four abattoirs, so big Australian meat producers, were blacklisted. And this all happened um, under the pretense of an inquiry into anti-dumping, you um, but basically it was perceived by Australia as a retaliation. Um, So how has that affected Australian businesses? Well, like the initial sectors that have come under fire, are obviously in barley, beef, cotton, a lot of agricultural exports and as well as wine. Um, But in the industries that we talked about a bit before that aren't physical exports like tourism and education, there has been comments by Chinese ministers basically saying that they discourage Chinese tourists and students to go to Australia for fear of racist harassment and attacks because there were instances in australia where chinese people wearing masks were physically and verbally abused on the onset of covid which is terrible Um, but that was kind of used as a justification to discourage chinese people from going to australia for tourist or education purposes so a lot of sectors have been affected by these tensions um and, you know, different parties have weighed in on kind of what should happen next and a large consensus which I tend to agree with, in my opinion, is that I think that the rhetoric was a little aggressive. Um, anybody who's dealt with China just on a day-to-day level in business or learnt about Chinese culture and Chinese business culture knows that there's um you know, a lot of culture around saving face and how you do things in the public, but how you do things in the private. And I think that, you know, these things don't disappear when you're moving from the individual level to a political level, it's clear that these cultural tendencies still exist. And I think it's important for politicians in Australia and elsewhere in the world to kind of acknowledge that and work with that. So, I would suggest my kind of view for where things could be heading, hopefully, is that the rhetoric of like spearheading an independent inquiry into China in a very aggressive way is kind of changed so that it's more nuanced and is more about collaborating. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, while we are talking, of course, about China and Australia, I think the rest of the world can learn you know, trying to be politically correct, but you just got to be sensitive, right? I think China is, like you said, it's about the face. You don't want to be too direct. You don't want to be public. Like, I'm just kind of re, re, almost rephrasing what you just said. But a lot of these yeah. other governments, you know, of course, we had with the Trump, Trump administration is very direct and, uh, you know, blunt, which doesn't work in China business, you know anybody that's even read a China business book, I think that's kind of like one of the first uh, chapters is face and uh, yeah. kind of this whole indirectness of communication. And uh, it's, yeah, yeah like, and a lot of the Western or the, the foreign, uh, non-Asian, non well, I don't wanna say Asian, but a lot of the other governments and people are more direct, right? It's, you know, I, I I have Australian friends uh, and they are usually a very yeah. more direct Direct kind of people, right? They just tell you how they feel. They, you know, it, that's just a, well, a Western kind of mindset. Is I just I don't want to cover it up. I don't want to like sugarcoat. I just directly tell you I have a problem, and I tell you this is what I think. You know, we should do. You know, but it doesn't. As we've we been, in, you have many experience in China. I've, I've been here too, uh, so we know you. You kind of can't. You gotta be a little bit. What would you say, like delicate almost or strategic yeah. about how you deliver your? I would say
1: strategic uh, and definitely um, it's, I'm not advocating for, you know, individuals or politicians or governments to not say anything about things that they disagree with. Obviously, there are a lot of um, ideological differences between Australia and China, for example, in the realm of human rights. You know, mm-hmm. with the stuff that's happening in Hong Kong, you know, the militarization yeah, mm-hmm. of the South China Sea, as well as what's happening with the Uyghur minorities in Xinjiang. All, yeah. Those are all issues that I guess Western democracies are allowed to take issue with those are not things that i'm advocating that western democracies are like australia just have to kind of sit there and go oh, we just won't say anything because we want a good trade relationship with china but that being said i think that you know there needs to be an acknowledgement that Things need to be brought up in particular ways that are sensitive. Um, And I think likewise on the Chinese side, you know, there shouldn't be an expectation that everybody's going to just go, yes, everything you're doing, we completely agree with. There should be a kind of understanding or or a balance that, you know, governments with different ideological standpoints are going to have disagreements about certain issues and that's okay. But I think that the way that the trade tensions between Australia and China came about was a bit of a, I guess, it wasn't handled very well in terms of like how it was projected and the perceived aggression. Um, so I think that those views could have been made. Um, but, a bit more nuanced, and maybe we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in now.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I, I do want to bring up a point. I don't know if you would how you feel about it. But I almost feel like this whole lockdown is, you know, like we're doing this interview on, on online, you know, everything is going online, which, of course, is nice, you know, I, to see each other. But I'm sure that the communication between these governments are not as smooth either. They're trying to they probably used to do more face to face, you know. Obviously, I have a feeling that that might also be affecting, you know, all these global relationships. You know, they're not able to to drink tea, you know, or have, you know, a meal or a, a casual sit down. Or I think even governments are having these issues of uh, communicating online or not having as much face to face. So I think that also probably also brings more challenges to the way communication happens. I don't know how you yeah yeah you know, i, I definitely
1: that. tend to agree i think that you know with a lot of things moving online and face-to-face interaction obviously decreasing a lot in the past year you know you can have events like this where you can get to know each other you can discuss a topic but there is something to be said about the i guess Um, genuine connection that you can get through face-to-face interactions. You know, you can read body language more. You can, there are a lot of um, small parts of kind of relationships that can be built face-to-face. And I think in the absence of that, you know, there's only so much that you can do. And so with regards to the tensions between Australia and China, like kind of at their peak, the trade minister was picking up the phone trying to call... You know China, his his China counterparts, yeah. and they just simply yeah. weren't answering the phone. And so I think that <laughs> you know in this day and age, where we are relying so heavily on non face to face contact, it is there are there is a larger barrier um to those very kind of balanced political relations that need to be had, and and I think it does put a lot of tension on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, just also just uh, just to put some pers- you know more easy perspective for others. But obviously it's a relationship, just like a, a romantic relationship or a business. Exactly. relationship. You know, if you don't meet your business partner, your spouse, your significant other, obviously, even when I talk to my team online, like and they misunderstand what I say, or at least I feel like they might misunderstand the words that I'm typing because words it's not just words it's verbal it's it's uh even video is you know it's not the same as actually that physical feeling of being across the the table or with somebody else so i like you said they don't answer the phone then you get upset then then you think maybe they were just really not available but then you're like oh are they mad at me i sit i didn't and all those misunderstandings happen you know and then um it's probably also, I have a feeling also affecting these government relations for sure, as well as yeah, these you know, personal it. relations, business relations. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at my list here. We, you know, you, you did a great job with your overview. You know, I don't, I always wonder, I don't know how, if we can go into some specific examples or deals, you know, that positively or negatively that you might notice uh, in, in this um, and how they're I mean, you did mention some of these um, farmers and, and meat meat companies. I don't, I don't know if we want to talk about some specific examples or maybe we just remove the names, but um, uh, I would, you know, I just trying to think what can people do now. You know, I guess nobody still knows, you know, it's almost 2021 now. I guess we're going to – it seems like it's going to be a little bit longer lockdown. It keeps extending, but I think travel won't be opening up still. Um, yeah. By the way. Well,
1: I'm definitely happy to give some examples of, yeah, I won't use company names, but um.
0: Sure, I understand. Like
1: some of the, I guess, deals or companies that have come under the crossfire of not only the tensions between Australia and China, but also of just COVID in general. So, Like with regards to the tensions, um, something that was, you know, circulating the news when those tariffs were implemented straight away was that we had a lot of Australian companies um, specifically in seafood and ag produce. So actually it was a shipment of lobsters and also a shipment of um, cherries that were just sitting on the dock and left to – die and decay because they had been sent obviously before these laws were put in place or you know when when laws does law does trickle down in China from Beijing sometimes and I know this from experience working at the chamber you wouldn't hear about it until you know maybe even maybe you know two to three days later but that's a long time if you're sending you know millions of dollars worth of produce across the water. So what happened was you had these Australian producers of lobsters and cherries sent their stuff over. Then obviously the law came into place, which um, was anti-dumping. And then as a result, their Chinese counterparts who would have previously come to pick up the shipment and distribute it along their supply chain didn't. So these shipments were there rotting on the port and obviously the suppliers in Australia lost millions of dollars. Um, So that's kind of an example of where businesses have come in the crossfire of the tensions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it just like, it just showcased, I think for a lot of businesses that The diplomatic relations have obviously significant consequences for the business community. And so it's led to like lobbyists that are farmers basically saying Australia and China, can you work it out? (laughs) Because um, a lot of businesses are now seeing sending stuff to china as too high risk they don't want to send their shipment across and then have it be stuck at the port so a lot of businesses are pulling back until they feel comfortable and confident that there's going to be i guess a, a dissipation of the tensions such that chinese counterparts will be picking up their produce and distributing it along the supply line so that's kind of some tangible examples yeah. of how trade tensions are affecting Australian businesses. Yeah, um,
0: yeah and I
1: mean, from that, I and cherries
0: good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, to it's just funny
1: because. <laughs> I would say it, it is funny because I think that, like, if you're not in those tangible industries with tangible products that you're literally packing up putting it into a container, shipping it off, and somebody else is picking it up and putting it in a store. um, You tend to forget that there's obviously large quantities of Australian goods moving off the coast and into the sea to be delivered to China. And that, you know, if you time, if in this case, these people timed their um, export wrong because of the tensions, that just that stuff can just be sitting there and it isn't used. It seems it seems like a huge waste to me.
0: Yeah, um, I know. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, those are obviously sound very exotic, expensive, valuable, you know, um, yeah. just seeing these boxes of cherries and lobsters sitting on a port in China right now, if <laughs> I mind. But. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's also, you know, we had the US-China trade war, I guess it's still continuing, but you know, it's, 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 it's true. It's like all of us who are, you know, a lot of, you know, the people in the community listeners are, are these business owners that it, we're stuck. Like you said, we're the ones that are taking this brunt because, you know, some Australian government person says something on TV and then some Chinese business government guy lost face and then and yeah, we're just trying to do business. We're just trying to sell our lobsters and sell our cherries. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And other examples, just outside of the specific diplomatic tensions, I think other examples of like deals going sour or kind of business, not working out between Australia and China, I experienced a lot in, in the support role. So obviously, OzCham, as I mentioned, is set up to support businesses to understand and navigate the Chinese business landscape. Um, and we, you know, for example, we had an Australian cosmetic company contact us and say, you know, we believe we've been scammed, because an agent, actually an Australian agent, so it was Australian and an Australian, an Australian agent had promised to, you know, set up social media in China, um, organise a lot of marketing events and had charged an exorbitant amount of money for that um, and then hadn't delivered. And I think that kind of just stepping away from the political tension subject and just going to general Australia-China relations, I think something that um, affects those businesses or that business relationship is a lack of understanding. There's such a high barrier when it comes to China in terms of the culture and the language. And so as a result, you've got a lot of Australian businesses, like SMEs, small to medium that want to enter the China market because the numbers are so promising. Everybody wants to sell to the Chinese market, but they don't have the in-house skills to (laughs) develop China marketing, even just to do the paperwork to actually be able to operate in China, and so you have these agents that obviously help businesses set up, set themselves up, which is a great service. But there's so many of them, and it's yeah. really hard for Australian companies to vet these agents. Um, and so you have horror stories like the one I said, where yeah. they paid a lot of money for a WeChat account, which you yeah. and I would know. Doesn't cost any money, hardly. Yeah. And it's very, yeah, very easy to set yeah, up. And, yeah. and obviously there's a huge breakdown in communication in terms of how to do business in China um, that a lot of Australian businesses, especially on the small side, are kind of falling for. So I don't work for OzCham anymore, but I do always like to do a plug that like OzCham, you know, they're there to vet those agents they're there to verify the fact that these are legitimate agents that can help set you up because i think Mm. it's it's really easy for people to go oh we don't know let's just go with that guy and then you know they lose millions of dollars down the drain for nothing
0: yeah no i agree i mean uh yeah thanks for Plugging all this Jim. I mean, I'm obviously not <laughs> so senior, but uh, yeah. I mean, so these these groups are, are very, you know, they're on the ground. They have people there. They're nonprofits. Their that's their that's their job. You know, is to uh, yeah. to, to to help help uh, find the right partners for uh, Australia or any country. You know, any chamber of commerce. That's what their 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 yeah. main job is. So people hopefully yeah, exactly. you know can can use that service or utilize that um, that help that they're there for um, yeah because it is daunting, right? China business, it, you know, there's these huge numbers, but then obviously there's this huge gap. It's a huge, um, huge change that a business has to do. Um, yeah, absolutely.
1: Great.
0: Okay. Ash, um, I got a question from one person in, our, in the community, Zach Franklin, a mm-hmm. regular uh, from seller.deals. He, he does uh, amazing things for the community as, um, Obviously, he's more in the Amazon space, so he's of course curious about Amazon Australia. I know it might not be your exact uh, niche, but is you know how has yeah. that been going? Is that you know? I'm sure there's lots of probably Chinese sellers on there, maybe or other foreign sellers. I mean, how does you know? Maybe just as a consumer or you know your own ideas. I'm sure people, everybody's always interested about Amazon here.
1: Yeah, I um I can definitely shed some insight on that as you mentioned um the australian market here is not so much my expertise i focus on australian companies going over to china but um you know as a person living in australia i do use e-commerce platforms um like amazon and ebay and i would say that um something that i've noticed um funnily enough i was involved um kind of a at an arm's length with um, some people importing PPE, so personal protective Mm -hmm. equipment from China into Australia and distributing them via e-commerce platforms. Um, And what I noticed is that the Chinese sellers, this is just my uh, kind of overview, I guess, as a consumer, um, is that the Chinese resellers, obviously can get really low prices from china and then bring the stuff over um, using drop ship and put it on at a very very competitive price that i saw on you know forums and just chatting to a few people the australian kind of counterparts or the australian market can't really compete Um, so there's that tension there that's on ebay and i think on amazon as well that being said amazon isn't as developed in Australia as America, of course, cause Amazon's from America. So there's just for using it, there's actually eBay is more developed here, which is funny exactly. because I think that's kind of seen as like a Craigslist runoff over in America. So it's funny how yes. different products kind of like rise to the front in different countries. Um, so what I've noticed with Amazon is like, yeah, the the products are a little bit more limited compared to eBay, but both platforms are the the competitive pricing is coming from Chinese resellers um, that make the local market um, a, find it a little bit difficult to compete.
0: Got it. Yeah, which is yeah. similar globally, I would say, even in the US yeah. with Amazon. <laughs> yeah. They opened it up more to uh, international sellers. Uh, it got definitely more more competitive. I mean, even eBay eBay days, early eBay days. Uh, I think it started like 2004, 2005. Um, and uh, but thanks for the insight, Asha. Um, so I think we're gonna switch to the networking mode. With a uh, we have a, a small but good group of people here. Chris Davies awesome. is here from FBA for you and uh, and Zach. So we'll we'll probably flip off the live in a uh, in a few minutes. But I do want to you know I know maybe you could share what you're up to, you know, how, if people, you know, you, like you said, you specialize more in Australia to import into China. Yeah. Um, maybe you could share what you're working on or how people could uh, learn more. Yeah.
1: I'd love to. So as I mentioned, I um, was working in Guangzhou as the general manager of the Australian chamber of commerce. And in the last year I've relocated back to Sydney, um, basically just for a change of scene, I wanted to be closer to my family. Um, But I also wanted to do boots on the ground work in Australia um, because that's something that, you know, is equally as important is, you know, educating and facilitating those good relationships here. Before people go over and you know make big business mistakes. So at the moment, um, when COVID hit, I actually took advantage of the lockdown and I have co-written a book. Um, it's wow. it's yet to be pub- It's in the process of being published. Um, okay. Yeah, so Congrats. it's thank you. It's um it's not it's a little bit different. It's basically on Chinese tech um, and how it's vastly different from. Uh, Western tech, but also how international companies can leverage it to access the China market. So I've co-wrote it with my partner, um, who was head of global marketing for WeChat, the only foreigner in WeChat, and we kind of brought our two expertise together. To basically shed light on a Great. topic that a lot of people know is really important, but they don't really know how to navigate it. Because, as you would know, Michael, China Tech is so far ahead, but it's like a different world. It's very, very different. So, I've been working on that, which has taken up a lot of my time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then, apart from that, I've been doing kind of okay. private um, consulting for select clients. So, basically, just what I was doing at OzCham, but privately and independently for particular clients that reach out through my network. Yeah.
0: Great. And uh, if people
1: want to find me, that's awesome. um so, they can Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah.
0: How can people find yeah. you? Yeah.
1: I was um I was just gonna say basically LinkedIn is the best place to find me. And um with regards to the book and any consulting around that, um I'll be announcing the okay. book
0: later on. So watch this space. So yeah we'll link up on the show notes to your to your LinkedIn and then well, also, I, I can't wait for the book. I always love to read people's books about China and China business. Even though you know, I, I'm uh, in here. I, I love to learn. So um, we'll try to get that added to the show notes when it's ready, and then people could awesome. uh, could, could grab it. It'll be like uh, on Kindle, or it'll probably be print and in Kindle, or um, yeah, it'll be print like that. And Kindle. Or... okay, okay, great. Yes, definitely send it. We'll we'll link it up um, so people listening later can find it. Thank you so much, Asha. So um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we, we wrap up the, the recording? I think I covered like to say, here, so, um, we covered a lot um, here. Yeah, I just like to say, we
1: covered a lot. I think that, you know, for me it was a really good opportunity to come on here. So thank you for having me. Um, as I oh, mentioned, really good, I have kind of been in isolation writing this book. So it was actually a really good opportunity for me to brush off on my facts, for me to make sure that, you know, i am following this because sometimes i think especially with covid it is easy just to kind of get in a hole and just kind of shut out the whole world um so i just want to yeah. say thanks for inviting me and also giving me the opportunity to make sure i'm keeping abreast on australia china relations and you know fingers crossed Great. that the diplomats can yeah. work it out and the the economies can continue to grow and hopefully the relationship can build So it's not just an economic one, you know, it also includes cultural ties and, you know, linguistic language ties as well. So hopefully it'll be a good kind of reminder or a good warning for people in Australia and elsewhere to go, wait a second, we should, I guess, invest more in a deeper relationship with China. So we'll see.
0: But thank you. Yeah. My pleasure, Asha. Thanks so much, and I, yeah, I guess also just uh, it's we're all one world, right? I mean, I think it's, the global yeah. economy we're all so interconnected now more than ever. So um, you know, I think uh, I think hopefully we all got to brush up brush up our relations knowledge with all these countries. So uh, I appreciate you sharing with us. It's been really really fascinating, and uh, yeah. So that's it for recording. But if you're if you're watching this now, just well, Asha and others, just stick around. If you have, we'll have a little bit of networking. All right. Thank Perfect. you again, Asha. Bye. Thanks. We're kicking off 2021. We're relaunching our online mastermind studios a couple years ago. We made some great relationships in the community, great business and personal relationships with people. And they're one of my favorite parts of the mastermind and the community. We have a whole new mini site, mastermind.gfavip.com. You will see there the different groups. We have, of course, Amazon. We have B2B trading. We have drop shipping. We have more and more. We have... It's becoming more of a platform with leaders in the community hosting these masterminds, trying to make the best of the new year with this new online lockdown and a new online community building. Check it out, mastermind.gfavip.com. Thanks in advance. Thank you so much, Asha, for sharing Definitely, I'm I'm excited about her book coming out. We'll try to update the show notes with her book. And it's very important, you know, to help support people when they launch their books. I know how much work it goes into creating them and also promoting them. And I'm really excited to read them myself. I try my best to keep up with all my friends and in the industry here creating books as well. And it's contributing to the ecosystem. But wow, I'm thinking of like cherries and lobsters sitting on ports in China We can't, you know, as business owners, we like to think we have control. Uh, You know, that is why a lot of us become entrepreneurs. We, you know, kind of quit our jobs because we feel like we want to have control over our destiny, control over what we can do. But fortunately, if you're a cherry farmer in Australia, you know, you might be getting hit pretty hard right now. And it most likely has nothing to do with the way you're operating your business. And that's why I've even said it. long time ago to people you know, diversification in your business you know selling physical goods but also building communities building content I've been sharing that on other podcasts so you know try to have multiple streams of income of course you know we have to have our main income which is selling product for these cherry farmers but there's always ways to adapt as best you can although sometimes you might get crushed you might have to change your business but I, I do hope people bounce back. I do hope people stay positive. It's been a heck of a year for all of us. See, I thought 2019 was crazy with the trade war. And 2020 has been obviously COVID and, and trade relations. But stay positive. Keep on trying. You know, I'm losing my voice here. I, I'm freezing cold here in Shenyang, China. But try my best to stay warm, stay positive, and keep on pushing forward. Thank you so much for everything, everybody. And... Keep on listening, keep on watching, keep on making action. I wish you the best in 2021. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.